This is the Outpouring Meeting with Dr. David Jeffries. Good evening, friends. It's David Jeffries, all dressed up in my nice little checkered shirt. It's nice to be with you tonight. I have a magnificent message from heaven. You wouldn't want it from anywhere else, would you? Nope, not me. It's on encouragement. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, this is a story in 1 Samuel 30 where um, the enemies of Israel had come down to a town called Ziklag and they'd burned the city. And they had captured King David's and his men's wives and children and ran off with them. And David had been about doing war, as God had instructed him to, uh, battling against the enemies of heaven. And, but the interesting part about it is, when David came back with his 600 of his men, they found that their wives had been taken away and their children. And the Bible says some strange things here, and I want you to compare yourself and sometimes the situations you fall into of discouragement. There are levels of discouragement. One is just plain out old discouragement. But the lowest level of discouragement for the Christian is a thing called despair. When you despair, it means you've given up any hope. And David and his men were greatly in despair because they came back and found out that while they were about doing the Lord's battles, the enemy had sneaked in and had the, uh, had taken them, the Amalekites, and had taken their wives and children. Well, here's the situation. And so the Bible says something strange. It says that they began to weep. And they wept so much that they had no more power to cry. I want you to compare yourself right now. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you had cried so much that you cried your tears dry? I have. I've cried at times when I had no more tears to cry. My eyes were completely dry because my tear ducts were totally empty and they had to be refilled. But I want, to, I want you to get this. There is discouragement coming to every Christian's life. And in the days ahead from this day forward, there's going to be discouragement in your life. It's going to say to you, there is no hope. And when you get to that part where you come to despair and say, there's nothing more I can do, that's when God shines the brightest. Are you hearing me? That's when God shines the brightest. That, that's when God shows up the most powerful in your life. So oftentimes, if you heard me preach before, when only when we come to an end of ourselves do we have a beginning of God. I love that. Only when we come to an end of ourselves do we have a beginning of God's power in our lives. So therefore, if you're holding on and holding on and holding on and fighting and struggling, uh, you need to stop doing that. You need to just throw your hands up and say, it's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's all about you. And when you do that, it shouts what you're saying to heaven. Wouldn't you like to hear a little whisper? You know, you've been in a room where people are whispering and you can't understand what they're saying. But let me say something to you. When you no longer have the power to handle anything, at the end of you is the beginning of God. Isn't that good news? So let it go. Let everything go. Whatever you're going through now, just make the declaration, God has this in his hands. He's got me in his hands. He's got the world in his hands. And God has written the last chapter of the book, Revelation, and by the way, we win. 
we win. By Christ, we're going to win. And we're going to win now, and we're going to win then. So here's the situation. David came down with his men. And they found out the wives were gone, and they began to be in such despair. They were so worn out from battling that 200 of the men couldn't get up and follow the enemy. The 400 went after them, but 200 were so weak they could not even cross the little brook, the little stream of water that was in front of them. And so they cried until they had no more tears. They cried until they had no more tears. And at the end of their crying, something strange happened in King David. King David is a remarkable person, a remarkable man of God. I want you to say these words, man of God. Now say this, woman of God. And I want you to say, Father, may I ever be a man of God. May I ever be a woman of God. Because David was truly a man of God. Because we see David starting off his life, even as a younger man, with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall never lack for anything that I shall ever need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You see, David had these incredible words stirring in his heart from being a young man. And don't you understand that it's that early relationship with God that you have had that is going to pay off someday when you're in the most despairing moment of your life. That early knowing God and that early loving God and that early serving God is going to rise up from within you and you're going to be strengthened in a way you never dreamed you could be. Now, in 1 Samuel 30, it says, David, after they wept so much that they could hardly do it, they wanted to stone him. They said, let's kill David. It's his fault. He took us out of here and they came and got our wives. But after they quieted a little bit, here's the favorite verses. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Are you listening to me? There's about 50 passages of scripture that triggers in my mind all of a sudden. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means David took his mind off of the report that was before him. The report that was staring and shouting in his face was, they're going to destroy our wives and children. They're going to destroy our families. We're, we've lost everything. We've lost all our, our income. We've lost our money. We've lost our children and the love of our life, our wives. We've lost everything. And they were in despair. But watch this. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, here's something that he did. Remember the scripture that I quoted 47 times in the last couple of weeks? That that Lord will keep that man or woman in perfect peace whose mind stays focused on him. You know what David did? David would not listen to an evil report. He was weeping like the rest of them, and he was so discouraged. But all of a sudden, he got the idea, I won't listen to an evil report. I won't let anything from the devil be the final word in my life. Do you like that? You will not allow anything that speaks into your life to be the final word because God is the God of your final word. Say that. God is the God of my final word. Once God has spoken, I will listen to no other voice after that. And God has said, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. God has said, rise up from this place and go and pursue and you will gather back everything you've lost. Don't you like that? The Bible says, God has says <clears throat> that he will force the devil to return to you seven times over what he's stolen from you. You hear those scriptures? Even so, some of those David might not have been fully aware of, 
they all were coming into play all of it once because what David did was he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, how did he do that? Well, he encouraged himself by saying, I, watch this, he said, I see this destruction coming, but the Lord, God, is with me. I know he talked like that. He is with me. He will always be with me. He always has been. And forever and ever, he will be with me again and again and again. And so David encouraged himself in the Lord with words like, I see what's happening. I hear this evil report. I hear the despair that's in my men's lives and, and, and how are my children getting along with all this destruction coming and them being carried away against their will, screaming and crying. But David forced himself to take his mind off the trouble and the despair and put his mind back on his God. Now I want you to hear those words. I want you to repeat after me. I will not look at this trouble in my life. I will not bow down in despair. I will not look at this trouble. I will not make this trouble too big for God. I will make God larger than this trouble. You know, I've spoken this in about five different sermons in the last six or eight weeks. I will make God larger and more powerful than the trouble that I'm facing. <clears throat> now, how do you do that? Well, David couldn't do that himself, but in his mind, he basically had the right confession. And I want to say something to you about confession. You know that oftentimes Christians live out their confession. In other words, if you say things are looking terrible and the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that and I don't know what I'm going to do and all destruction's coming my way, your confession is telling you what's coming your way. And so there's something you have the power to do. You can change what you say and you can change what you know and say what you know about God and say what you know about God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Can you remember that nice old hymn of the church? Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. And what David did was he changed his confession. This was the first confession. Things are looking terrible. Destruction's coming our way. We're all in despair and we all have no hope whatsoever. That was the first confession. But I want you from this day forward to be the Christian, to be the man of God and the woman of God. Of the, of the second confession. You see, most Christians make the first concession over and over and over again, confession over and over again. It's like, oh my goodness, look how things are. My house payment's due tomorrow and I don't have anything. What am I going to do? I'm going to go down. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose it. No, stop it. Skip the first concession and go straight to the second. In fact, I would like for you to be the second confession living I'd like for you to live your life only on the terms of the second confession. And the second confession is with these words, however, God, but God. You see, I see this, I see this darkness, I see this despair, I see this destruction. And then you, you immediately don't go there very long because you're glorifying the devil and you're giving power to the devil when you make that negative confession. So you skip the negative confession of, oh, look at all the things that are going wrong, and you begin to say, but God, 
but God. Some years ago, I preached a message. I heard it preached, and I've, I've, I preached it myself because I loved it so much. And it was uh, on the, the term that is, when Jesus comes. And it was a neat, neat little message. When Jesus comes, he changes things, and he changes people, and he changes places where people hang out. <laughs> In that sermon, it was, it was like there was a man who was dead, and his mother was in a funeral procession, and he had died, the only son of this poor mother. She lost everything. When she lost that son, she had nothing left. But then came Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he changes things. He changes the atmosphere from despair into great hope. Great hope. Hope is arising in your heart because Jesus, when he comes, he changes things. And he's come to change the circumstance of your life right here, right now, where you are. And he's the only power in the entire universe that can do that. Nobody else can bring you happiness or joy or peace in the midst of a storm than the Son of God and the Spirit of God coming down. Coming down. Don't you love that thought? So you say, there's an Old Testament passage that says, Oh Lord, rip open the heavens and come down to us. Oh Lord, tear open the heavens and come down to us. I like that. So you start that second confession, which is the confession concerning God in your life. Concerning God. It's the confession of, of concerning God in your heart. It's the confession of a lifetime of your serving God and seeing God ever faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. You see? And so I want you to become a second confession Christian. Will you do that? I, I don't think I've ever used that term before, but I like it. It sounds good. But here's the neat thing. Then came Jesus to that funeral procession. And he came over and he touched that coffin. He touched that thing they carried the coffin on. And he commanded the boy to rise up. And a young man, the mother's only son who was dead, came alive again. He came alive again because Jesus said very plainly, I am the resurrection and the life. And you don't have to wait to resurrection day. If you're dead and the Lord Jesus is ready to give you your own resurrection day, he'll raise you from the dead right where you are. And so Jesus had said before about Lazarus, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that lives and who believes in me shall never die. And that man or woman who lives and believes in me shall never taste death. What about that? I'm your resurrection. Not only is he the resurrection, but I want you to say this. You're my resurrection. You can resurrect the things in me that have died. I want to talk to you about that a little bit. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm sure all this stuff I'm talking about now is some of the things that David, a lot of it, uh, confessed himself. That was the second confession of, however, now that I ponder God, I've decided a different story. Things are going to be okay. We're going to come through this with God's help. He said he would never leave me. He'll be with me through every difficulty. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and I will not cast away. Here's how the Bible says it. Do not cast away your confidence that you have in the Lord. Don't throw your confidence away. You have taken years and years to allow God and invite God to build this faith, to build this confidence in you, and why would you throw it away in a moment? I don't think so. I don't think so. So that second confession is to negate the first. 
The first is that which Satan throws at you, and that's where all the trouble's coming. The devil is throwing every kind of thought, every kind of doubt, every kind of fear in your mind and in your thoughts, and you're basically saying, I won't listen to you. You're also saying something I taught you about six sermons ago. I don't receive that devil. Say it, I don't receive that devil. I don't receive your negative report. I don't receive the fear that you want to instill in my heart. I don't, I don't accept it. I don't receive it. The Bible says, guard your hearts. I guard my heart in the name of the Son of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. I guard my heart against anything, any lie you give me, devil, and I have overcome. You like that? I will overcome. And so you skip the first confession of negativism and fear, and you go straight to the confession of the words but God. And so Jesus touched that funeral beer, that young man, and he rose up, raised up in resurrection power. How do you think that mother felt? How do you think she felt when the boy got up and they kind of gave him a hand preps getting out of that casket and they put him on the ground and, and I, I suspect she probably fainted. I don't know, it doesn't say she fainted, but I know a whole lot of mothers if they'd already lost their son and had grieved over him all day Usually they tried to bury uh, some people in Israel the same day they died. That was a custom, an oriental custom for in many, many countries and nations. And so that woman had already grieved from the time the boy died to that moment when she was still weeping and still totally in despair. There was no hope. But then came Jesus. You hear me? But then came Jesus. And in your life, there is no hope. There's only despair. But let Jesus come. And when Jesus comes, He changes things. He changes the atmosphere to a, one of great hope, of joy in the midst of a trouble, in the midst of a storm, joy and tribulation. Jesus can change despair into great praise and great joy. He wants to raise up in your heart, rise up within you, rise and shine because your light, Jesus, has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Don't you love that from the heavens, from the Word of God? And so that young man got up, and I imagine that mother went bananas. I don't know. She probably ran around. Of course, she probably thought, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? I know the boy died, but am I just dreaming? No. She went over to him. Do you think she just left him standing there? <laughs> if he was your child, you'd run over and throw your arms around him and feel his face and feel his head and go, oh, my lens, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. I'll bet that woman didn't sleep a wink that whole night. Because you see, the first report was this. He's dead, and when you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> you heard that before. My son is dead, and when you're dead, you're dead. Now, Jesus, our Lord, remember he raised Lazarus from the dead so there was more than one raising there were several raisings and then the disciples and the apostles had people raised from the dead but Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and I want you to see the despair and the negative report Lord uh, Mary and Martha started talking to him and they said Lord if you'd only been here if you'd only been here our brother wouldn't have died but do you understand if Jesus had come and healed him before he died then there would be no revelation of him as the great resurrection and the power of God. See, he wasn't just showing himself to heal people. He was the resurrection and the life. And he wanted you to know that there's going to come a time in your life that when you pass from this earth and when you, your body is put in the ground or whatever, that there's going to come a day when he will say, Come forth. He said, Lazarus, 
come forth out of that deadness, out of that despair, out of that tomb, wound up and dead and not coming back. But the report of Jesus was, when Jesus comes, he changes things. He changes the atmosphere from one of despair to one of great praise. And listen to me, from one of despair to one of great praise. You see, that's what he wants to do with you. If you'll invite him to do that, he will let this testimony I'm giving you tonight become yours because you will be a person again of the second confession. I've heard what is thrown at me. I've heard that my son is dead. My sister said, we, we, we just know Lazarus is dead. And one of them said, we know that if you ask the father, he'd do anything for you. But there wasn't really any hope because in that little town of Bethany, no one had ever been raised from the dead. So no one was expecting Lazarus to be raised from the dead. I, would, I, I, have a, I always look on the funny side of things. I think about the fact that Lazarus had died and the funeral director had already collected his fees. <laughs> I'm sorry. If there are any funeral directors listening to me, that was one fee he had to return. You know, some real expensive funerals. I know somebody that costs $19,000 to bury him. That's a pretty expensive funeral. And plus the stone uh, thousands and thousands and thousands more. I think it's kind of comical when they went back and Lazarus went with his mother, with his sister, and said, uh, by the way, I didn't stay dead. <laughs> because of Jesus, the grave couldn't hold me. Death and hell couldn't keep me down. I'm alive and I'm well. And the funeral director, I imagine, would have said, uh, how about me giving you a half-price special on this one? <laughs> I'm sorry if that strikes me funny. Half-price, I'm alive! I'm not half-dead! I'm not half-alive, I'm fully alive! So anyway, uh, there probably wouldn't be a lawyer in that city that wouldn't take his case. <laughs> well, let me see you. How can we prove? Well, here he is. Hey, tell him yourself, Lazarus. What happened when Jesus came on the scene? What happened when the Son of God stood outside your tomb and cried, Lazarus, come forth, and the power of God blew off death off of you and blew the chains of death and, and destruction off your life so that you that were dead is alive again? How about that? You who were dead is alive again. And so Jesus basically said, if you'll only believe, you know, you, you'll have a miracle. Lord, if you'd only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If you'd only been here. Now stop. Isn't it interesting that they recognize in their own minds that the Lord hadn't been there? But you know the New Testament concept and truth is that Jesus is never not there. That in your life today, when you go to bed tonight and you lay your head on your pillow, the Lord will be present. In the middle of the night, when you get up to go get a drink of water or whatever, you'll say, Lord Jesus, are you still here? And he'll say, I'm still here. And the next morning early before you wake up and we'll go nice, you say, Lord Jesus, are you here? And he will say, I'm still here. I told you I wouldn't leave you. I told you I wouldn't forsake you to evil. I told you, trust me, I'm still here. And I'm going to stay here and I'm never going to be anywhere else but with you. Isn't that beautiful? And so here, the, Mary and Martha were saying, oh Lord, he's dead. And they did not even consider the resurrection. Some years ago, I preached a sermon called Greater Expectations of God. I've got it on a tape somewhere about 35, 40 years ago, back in the old cassette tapes. 
And, and I preached on greater expectations of God. And in that sermon, I gave the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha in that message. And I said, in the town of Bethany, when Lazarus died, they had believed just like everybody else forever. Again, when you're dead, you're dead. And Lazarus was dead. So nobody actually said to the Lord, will you raise my brother from the dead? Because that was not the usual custom, seeing people raised from the dead all over the place. And the neat part about it is you, we have all underestimated the mighty resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And I heard one person put it this way. When our Lord stood outside his tomb and cried, Lazarus, come forth! There was so much resurrection might and power coming from Jesus, the Son of God, that had he not used the name of Lazarus, everybody that had ever died would have got up and come out of the grave. <laughs> There's that much overwhelming resurrection power in Jesus, salvation power, power to deliver you from the foulest evil spirit that vexes your mind, power to heal your body, power to set you free, power to encourage you like you've never been encouraged before, that when he has said, Lazarus, come forth, the fellow said, if he hadn't said Lazarus, if he just said, come forth, once again, everybody that had ever died would come out of the grave because that's the power of the Son of God. Why don't you tonight let this power become your friend? Let this power become your deliverance from whatever you're in now, whatever death is working against you, whatever destruction the thief has not come but for steal, kill, and destroy. But remember, Jesus said, I'm come. And I'm come that you might have life. He always comes to you for life. The devil always comes to you to wreak death and havoc on your life. But Jesus comes to you and says, I've, given, I've come to give you life, but not just give you life, but give you his overwhelmingly wonderful life, abundantly, you see. Isn't that great? Yes, he's your savior. He's your Lord. He's your king. He's your mighty deliverer. Nobody can set you free like the son of God can. He shed his blood to pay for the price of your deliverance. He shed his blood to pay for the price of setting you free and raising you from the dead places of your mind and your body and your soul and the dead being sick and trespasses and in sins so that you're no longer sick. Because remember this. When Jesus comes, he changes things. When Jesus comes, he changes things and he changes people. He changes hearts. He changes minds. Did you know that when you were born again, God went about changing your mind? There's some people that tell me a few days after being born again, I wasn't thinking the same thoughts I had. Where did those go? Who took those evil thoughts out of my mind? Who is it that healed my broken heart? You guessed it. When Jesus came, the brokenhearted are healed. When Jesus comes, the despairing is out of despair into great rejoicing. Because had he not said Lazarus come forth, everybody that ever died would come up out of the ground. I don't know where, how, how the whole world would hold that many people, but he said Lazarus. And that's what God does for you. The Bible says that your name is written in the palm of God's hand. Come on now. Your name is written in the palm. He must have a big hand. Or you must write in real tiny letters of your name. But you are so close to your Father. Your, God loves you so deeply that He is angry all day long at the wicked and what Satan's plans are against you. So you see, 
you have an awful lot more pulling for you from heaven than you do pulling against you from hell. Isn't that a good message? You've got all of heaven crying out on your behalf. You've got the angels singing and shouting. You've got the Son of God in heaven turning to his Father and saying, I bought and paid for him. I bought and paid for her with my own blood. And the Father looking through that blood and he sees you covered and sprinkled with that wonderful blood. And then God rises up off his throne and says, now I'm going to destroy the destroyer. Isn't that good news? Now I'm going to break Satan's power over your life. I'm going to break his authority. I'm going to break his rule so that when Jesus comes, he will change you. When Jesus comes, he will change the atmosphere. Uh, I remember a woman from uh, Somerset about 30 years ago. And I, I thought I was being spontaneous to ask this question, but I know it was God after this woman gave her answer. I said, tell me, uh, just anybody in the room, Tell me what your life was like after you became born again. After you were born again and gave your heart to Jesus, what, how was your life different? She was so poetic. I can't quite be as poetic as she was. But out of my 15 people in the room, she spoke up and said, Well, when Jesus came into my heart, the grass looked greener. The trees were more beautiful. The flowers were vibrant. And their colors were coming alive to me. <laughs> All of my life was so <coughs> joyfully and gloriously changed that I had passed from death into life. I'd been living in death and nothing was really beautiful to me. Nothing was really, really exciting to me because I was living in death. But when life came, everything around me became alive. And all the things that please your soul and all the things that make you happy started bombarding me at one time. I'll tell you, I went bananas when that woman talked like that. The grass was greener, the flowers were more brighter colored. All the world around me was so beautiful, whereas before it wasn't. Because you see, in that woman's case, Jesus came. Just when she needed him, Jesus came. And when Jesus comes, he changes things. Stop right there. Freeze that thought. I want you to say, when you come to me, Lord Jesus, you change things. You change the atmosphere of despair to great praise. You change the atmosphere of a clouded mind to a mind that God's Spirit has given me a sound mind. God has not given you the spirit of fear or timidity, but God has given you the spirit of power, love, and God has given you the Holy Spirit of a sound mind. So when your mind was clouded with doubts and clouded with the attacks of the enemy, Jesus came and has given you the gift of a sound, solid, good-thinking mind. Isn't that a wonderful gift? If you ever had trouble with your mind, you'd say, that's the greatest gift in the world. I can now think clearly. I can now focus on the things of God. I can now focus on the needs of others rather than just being inbred in myself and worried about me, 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 me. I can now be like Christ. I can understand that scripture that David Jeffries has quoted 27 times lately. The scripture is that God is making things better. God is here to improve your life and to bless you Wait a minute now. Bless you right where you are. He doesn't have to take you out of where you are and put you somewhere else. He has to take the bad part of the negative bad confession out of you and put a new confession in you. And you may not have to move from where you are. You may just begin to rule in Christ Jesus where you are. Rule where you are. Isn't that beautiful? 
So when Jesus comes, he changes things. He changes people and he changes the places where they go. And he changes the friends that they have. You'll notice this, that when you're really born again and people know it, that in the past life around you, they start melting away. It's like, hey, don't, don't invite him out to get pizza because he'll, he'll want to drink. All, he won't drink any beer now. He won't. Do, he won't. Something's changed about him. Well, his whole life has been changed. His whole confession has changed from one of fear and a confession of despair that things aren't, they didn't look like they won't work out, to hope. In Bethany that day, Again, nobody had thought about the resurrection. They didn't see it. So Jesus had to reveal himself as Lord of the resurrection that not only will he be in your life here, but he will go to heaven and be at the right hand of the Father. And when you pass away on the resurrection day, he will say, come forth. Come forth! And you'll hear him plainly. Even from the grave, you'll hear it because he'll speak to your spirit and your body, your spirit, your everything will come back together again and you will walk out to an eternal life that God has bought and paid for by the blood of his precious son, Jesus. You will have a life forever. I just love that. I love God for that. I love God for the promise of eternal life. And so when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, interestingly enough, the Bible says he came out there and he was. they had wound grave cloth around him, kind of like, I guess like gauze or something around him. And he was stiff with that and <laughs> had been dead three days. They said, Lord, he's, by now he's stinking. Yeah, we don't want to really open that, that, uh, that roll that stone away because by now he stinks. He's, his body's putrefacting. But Jesus turned it all back the other way. Don't you understand? He that created your body in the womb of your mother also has the power of turning back death and producing wonderful life for you wherever you are. I just love that about the Lord. So back to David, King David a little bit from 1 Samuel 30. And David had come down from, to Ziklag and the, the enemy had destroyed and burned the city and taken their wives and everything. And then it came down to a point where they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. All their eyes, tears were, were dry. And then David had this thought. You understand this thought was the second confession. The first confession, they've taken our wives and children. In the past, they've molested our wives. They've ripped our children up and killed them. And their idea was to kill everybody. And in the past, so can you imagine what David and his men were thinking about their poor wives and children? But David looked for his second confession. And it starts with two words. I see all this. And the two words are, but God. The three words, but my God. But my God. Remember Paul saying, but my God shall supply all your needs. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, rich, rich wealth in Christ Jesus. He's here to turn your darkness into daylight. He's here to turn your despair into unexplainable, inexplicable joy. That's who Christ Jesus is to you and to me. And I love him for that. I love him for the fact that he is in your home right now and his Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear and it's saying these words, encourage yourself in the Lord. This is not the end of everything. Jesus Christ will bring the final curtain down, not the devil. Nobody's going to bring that final curtain down but the Lord. And so the Lord is in charge of history. He's in charge of the world. The Bible says the earth belongs to the Lord. Stop right. The earth belongs to the Lord. 
the fullness thereof, every, every vine, every branch, everything belongs to God. I have a tomato plant out back. And my friend recently said, that's a nasty tomato, it's eaten up. And he reached up and just choked it off and threw it away. And I thought, he took my tomato, it took me weeks to grow that. <laughs> but some little worm had sneaked, in, sneaked into the night and he chewed a hole in my little tomato. That old worm we rebuke him. Stay away from my tomato plants. But listen to this. Death is working against you. But the life of God is working for you. And God has come to give you life, to give it to you more abundantly, overwhelmingly, praising God with the newness of the life in Christ Jesus that he's brought to you this night. Now I'll say this to you. This is going to be a very good night and tomorrow is going to be a very good day in your life because you're going to wake up with the right confession. Lord, it's all about you. I've seen the wicked rise up. I've seen them prosper for a while. And then very soon they're cut off. Don't you understand? The power and work of the devil will be very soon cut off out of your life and he will never touch you again. He will never touch you again. And so begin to confess, Lord Jesus, you're more mighty than anything that can come to destroy me. You're more mighty than that to restore me, to fill me with energy and power and to encourage me. Now, when the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord, an alternate word for encouraged himself in the Lord is David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, it's impossible for David not to have experienced joy in tribulation because we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So somehow, I don't know how it reached its way into David at that time when he looked about and his wives and kids were gone and all of his men were crying and wanting to stone David. I don't know how in the world he said, I'm not listening to this, I'm not, listen I'm not listening to this. But he did. And he strengthened himself in the Lord, but you can't strengthen yourself in the Lord without joy. I preached a message on joy not long ago. Joy, the levels of joy, joy, great joy, exceeding great joy, exceeding great joy and full of glory, like four or five levels of joy. And I know that David, he's thinking back on God's faithfulness. There's that little boy when he's tending those sheep, along comes a, a bear, along comes a, a, a lion, and David took him with his bare hands. The strength of God broke their necks. David was just a little child, but he had the spirit of God on him. Don't you understand? Sometimes you and I feel like little children, like we're so immature, like we so need so much more faith than we have. But I'm going to say this to you. It's not the faith we have. It's the faith of him living in us and the power of Christ living in you that will break the neck of the lion, that will crush the head of the serpent and cause you to stand upon the mountaintop and be victorious right where you are. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David strengthened himself in the joy of the Lord. And then he said, let's have this ephod, let's have this garment, and let's put it on and see what God says. And basically, the Bible says, I like the way God said it. I just read it a couple of times uh, today. I like the way God said it. And God said, David said, shall we pursue after this enemy? I mean, it looks hopeless, like they've already gone there. Who knows where they are by now, and how are we gonna find them? And God said, yes. Go after them. Run after them. You'll catch them. And I love this. And he said, not only will you catch them, but most assuredly you will recover everybody and everything that you've lost.
Are you listening to me? You'll recover everything, the, the humiliation of your life, the disgrace of your heart, the rejection of people. You'll discover everything that you once had from God, and it will be abundantly more. You will overcome, and you will recover everything. Listen to prophecy that David got that day. But it was a prophecy that was to come true. Because not long after that, they went after them. They captured them. They destroyed all of them. But 400 young men got away. They probably just let them go on a bunch of mules, is how it says it. But David recovered everything. From despair in the camp, there was rejoicing in the camp. Our wives, our children are not dead. They have not been harmed. You see, God protected them from an enemy that everything shouted and said, by now they're going to be destroyed, they're going to be ripped up, they're going to be... It's just terrible the things that this enemy is going to do. But let me say something to you. They didn't touch a hair of the children's head. They didn't touch a one of their women. And so they received them back whole again. And that's where God is leading you. God is leading you that in the destruction that's been over your life, whatever it is, you're going to recover everything. You're going to get over it. You're going to get past it. And you're going to wake up one day, a few weeks, months down the road, and you're going to say this. When Jesus comes, He changes things. When Jesus came, He changed my life. He changed my life a thousand times better than it was. And you're going to wake up down the road and realize that He's never not been with you and that his, your ability to call upon Him and strengthen yourself in the Lord is right in your confession. Not the first confession of fear and doubt, but the second confession that is exactly you're telling God who He is. You're the King of kings and Lord of glory. You're the destroyer of the darkness and destroyer of Satan's power. And that second confession is what I'm asking you to begin to make tonight. May God bless you as you've joined us. Thank you so very much. Bow your head and pray, and pray for us. And also hit that little share button, because when you hit the share button one time, a bunch of you hit it, and I had 1,300 viewers. So hit the share button. Look at it on your machine there, whatever you're using, and punch that little share button so that a, a thousand other people can hear what God wants to say to their heart. I love you. I love you in the love of the Lord. Well, I love you in the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you in the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King, and I love you with the love of the Lord. God bless you, and good night. Sleep well. Thanks for listening to The Outpouring with Dr. David Jeffries. For more information, visit his website at drdavidjeffries.com. And that is spelled... D-R-D-A-V-I-D-J-E-F-F-A-R-E-S dot com. I'm Harley Cannon.